Well, this morning we're going to look, it's just a standalone message, and, and we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk. Uh, primarily, we're going to stay in the, the third chapter, but it's only three chapters, and so we're going to have to cover the whole book this, this morning, and, and, and it's like a short book, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to, we're going to worship together one last song. We, we saved one song to the end, and you'll understand why uh, towards the end of this message. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either click to or turn to with me if you'd like to follow along to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. So that's going to be our primary text this morning, and then, and then we'll, we'll back into that. And we'll, we'll understand uh, what's going on in the book of Habakkuk and how this applies to our life. And, and so when you, when you look at the book of Habakkuk, you realize that, that it really hinges, the whole book hinges on three words, yet I will. Yet I will worship you. When we stepped into the, the valley uh, of suffering and the valley of difficulty in 2016, there were two words that we believe or two phrases that we believe God gave us. One, that he, he's got this, and the second phrase was this, and it really came from my daughter, yet I will. Yet I will praise you. Yet I will find where you're working. Yet I will celebrate you. And so this was very important and has been very important in our life and many other people's lives that have walked into the valley or walked this path. And so in the third chapter of Habakkuk, you realize that the third chapter is a prayer. And it's a response to what Habakkuk started praying and started saying in Habakkuk chapter 1. And then it's, it's this response to where Habakkuk starts remembering all that his God has done and all of his faithfulness and some of those things. And so Habakkuk chapter 3 is an answer to Habakkuk's prayer that started in Habakkuk chapter 1. And so the question that Habakkuk had in chapter 1 with everything that was going on with the government in his time, the economy, the decisions that were being made, I mean there was an economic collapse, there was government decisions that, that were not good. And so as a result of that, Habakkuk been asking the question, well God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Why aren't you doing anything about the evil in the world? Why aren't you righting these wrongs? Why aren't you taking care of this? And so, all, so, so the answer is, is God will do something about it. He, he always has and he always will. And it may look like in a situation that you're walking through, it may look like God is doing absolutely nothing, but the scripture says that he's always doing something. He always has and he always will. And so this is what, listen, this is what the book of Habakkuk is about. I mean, it's what happens when you step into the valley? What happens when you don't get the breakthrough? What happens when you don't get your best, best life now? What happens when you don't get the rainbow? What happens when things don't turn out the way you plan? What happens when you don't get your dream life? And when you've got to get all the way to the conclusion of the book of Habakkuk to get this answer, so Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 16, it says this. Here's what the scripture says. Habakkuk says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound rottenness entered my bones. I mean, this is just such a real prayer. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. And so when Habakkuk makes this statement, when he made the statement, I trembled where I stood, that's when he realized God is doing something. That's when he noticed where God was working. And all of a sudden, his fear turned to, to faith. 
And it's amazing to me. You start out in Habakkuk chapter 1 and you see fear, and then you get to chapter 3 and you see faith. And he makes this statement that you make this impending doom, this statement to come against the people invading us. What is Habakkuk saying? Habakkuk is saying this. I've come to the place to where I trust him. My my, My fear is moved to faith. And as a result of that, I will wait for him. As a result of that, I will patiently and quietly wait for him because I know he's doing something and Habakkuk learns something and silence and solitude and what it means to connect with him and understand that God is with you every part of your day. In verse 17 in Habakkuk chapter 3, he goes, and there's three those. And so now all of a sudden, you know, there's like this perfect storm that, that Habakkuk's dealing with. It's not one situation that he's dealing with. He's dealing with like three different situations. It's like this perfect storm that is coming together. In verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the, fe- and, and the fields produce no food, though... The flocks disappear from the pen, and there's no herds in the stalls. And so he's coming to the place of saying, you know what? This is economic collapse. I mean, the things that are going on, it's three storms coming together. And so a little bit about my story. I met Christ in Houston, Texas, in, 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 and I was 21, 22 years old, and I met Christ in a Baptist church. And so in, our, in the Baptist church, the Baptistic tradition that I was met Christ in, we sang Amazing Grace, not the contemporary Amazing Grace, like the original, like in King James Version only language, Amazing Grace. And some of you that have been in that, 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 that spiritual background, if that's part of your spiritual, spiritual background, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we just didn't sing verse 1, 3, and 4. We sang all the verses. That was the kind of church we were. And so we sang Amazing Grace. And and, and we sang it like, it was like twice a month. I mean, we always sang Amazing Grace. And then when we got to verse 4, and we're going to put a couple of verses because I want you to understand this. And when we got to verse 4, we sang verse 4 like there was no tomorrow. I mean, all of a sudden, we sang it with gusto. So here's verse 4, and you'll resonate with this. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And I mean, we are celebrating that. But there's a verse earlier. And it seems like we just kind of stumbled through it. And then when you look at contemporary versions of Amazing Grace, like the Chris Tomlin version, no criticism, but the Chris Tomlin version and some of the other contemporary versions, we're like stripping this other verse out. Here's the other verses before that. Watch what it says. Though many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace, grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. My personal opinion, I think that one of the reasons why we've stripped that verse out in all the contemporary versions of Amazing Grace, we don't understand what grace means. Contemporary definition of grace really has to do with forgiveness of sin, right? It really has to do with unmerited favor, getting what I don't deserve, uh, forgiveness of sin, and because I have forgiveness of sin that I get to go to heaven, and we kind of forget about the the in-between, if you will. And so I think in our contemporary definition of grace, we don't understand totally a full 
robust definition of what grace means. And grace, yes, grace is forgiveness of sin. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is not getting judgment, but getting forgiveness. And grace is getting the promise of heaven where there's no more tears, there's no more pain. And, and, and all of, yes, that's part of it. But we're missing part of grace. Grace is also this, that he will walk with you. Grace is the one that leads us home. Grace is that you get the presence of God, and he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with you. Isn't that what David said in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and I will fear no evil. And then you get to the last of of the 23rd Psalm, and then it says, grace and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It is God's grace that leads us home. It is God's grace that is present in our problems, in our difficulties, in our, in our struggles. Most people are not worried, especially when they go through the valley. See, Habakkuk's problem was not heaven. Habakkuk's issue in Habakkuk chapter 1 wasn't whether he's going to make it to heaven or not. I mean, that wasn't his issue. His issue was the dangers, toils, and snares. Most people that I talk to, when they go through the valley of the shadow of death, when they walk through suffering, when they walk through difficulty, they're not worried if they're going to make it to heaven. They're not worried if one day they're going to be in heaven where there's no more tears and pain and all of those other things. You know what they're worried about? Can I get through the dangers, toils, and snares? Can I get through the difficulty of life? Can I get through? See, this is an amazing thing. This is why I think Habakkuk has, it's a prophetic book into our time, especially the things that we've been navigating all together as a country through COVID and government and some of the other things, where a lot of people like, God, why aren't you doing anything? Why don't you right the wrongs? Why don't you? Habakkuk has so much to give us. Habakkuk starts off with a complaint. Habakkuk starts off with a complaint and ends up with a praise. Habakkuk starts, up with, starts off with fear and ends up with faith. You look at the start of this letter and you find this guy Habakkuk and it's filled with anger and disappointment and complaint because it seems like to him, it seems like God is not doing anything with what's going on. But see, the key word, I'm just telling you, the key word or the key phrase is found in verse 18. And listen, if you're going to navigate through suffering, if you're going to navigate through the, 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 the difficult valleys of life, then these three words, these three phases, phrases, you're going to have to understand how to live out in your life, and it's yet I will. Man, yet I will. Verse 18, let's just read it. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will be grateful. I will find worries working and be thankful. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, the Lord. And then he makes it personal. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. See, this is a secret. His fear is turned to faith, and he's like, you know what? Because of that, because I can see where you're working, because I'm grateful and thankful, I will. I will wait quietly. I will wait patiently. I will rest in the day of trouble. I think, listen, I think regardless of where you are, I think that's something that all of us need. That I can, I can rest in the day of trouble. I can wait patiently. And then we can walk through this and maybe we can just find just a, a couple of things or a few things in this text that can encourage us, that can help us understand how, how to end our circumstances 
how we can come to the place and just make that decision and say, yet I will. See, this is what is so surprising to this book, and you can read it for yourself. You can read it in like 15, 20 minutes. It's not a long book at all. What Habakkuk was complaining about in, in, in Habakkuk chapter 1, his circumstances, his situations, his circumstances, his situations do not change in Habakkuk chapter 3, and yet now he's praising God. His circumstances did not change. Something changed in him. Something changed in his heart. Something happened in him because he is worshiping in the same set of circumstances and situations that he was complaining about in Habakkuk chapter 1. This is what is so surprising about this book. All of his praying and all of his pleading to change the circumstances, and for whatever reason, God said no. Nothing has changed. The same thing he's griping about in chapter 1, he's rejoicing about in chapter, chapter, in, in chapter 3. And this, honestly, this is what challenges me. And this is what should challenge each one of us. Because this is the greatest secret. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, But the righteous one will live by his faith. What is faith? Habakkuk would say, Though the, though the fig tree does not bud, Though the olive crop fails, though the flocks disappear, though I walk through a perfect storm, three storms coming together, the greatest economic disaster that, that they had ever seen, all the things that they depend on for income is gone. Though this is going to happen, though it's going to get worse, though things are gonna, gonna, not going to change, yet I, yet I will rejoice and yet I will praise. So I want to give you three things, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to worship one last song together and make a commitment. So here, here, here's the three things. The first one is this. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace, and I'm telling you, God's grace was what Habakkuk fell, fa, uh, found. This is what the Scriptures teach, that God's grace is sufficient. Your life may not be what you dreamed it would be. Habakkuk for sure could say that. Habakkuk has been praying that God would change his situation, God would change his circumstances, and for whatever reason, God said, you're going to have to wait. God said no. And he realized that it wasn't going to change. The fig trees weren't going to bud. They weren't going to blossom. There was going to be no fruit. There was going to be no, no cattle in the stalls. There was going to be no income. And he realized that, guess what? These things aren't going to, going to improve. And so I, I am going to live by faith. What if God says no to deliverance? What if God says no to wholeness? What if God says no to your prayer request? What if God says no to healing? What if, what if things in your life never get better? Listen, let me tell you something. I, I think God for answered prayer. We've seen in our family, and we've talked about it, we've seen God heal. We've seen God heal people in this, in, in this church. We've seen God heal relationships. We've seen God heal marriages. We've seen God answer prayers. We've seen God take care of things. But there are some times, right? There are some times that God says no. And so I see no conflict between biblical faith and reality. I see no conflict in that. But what happens when God says no in your life? What happens when, when pain moves in to stay? And it's not like a temporary house guest. But pain moves in to stay. What happens when, you're, when your pain is like permanent? What happens when your suffering is, is permanent? And suffering moves in to stay and not something that is just temporary. When you and I realize that, you know what, my life may not be what I dreamed of and what I'd hoped for. 
And for whatever reason, God has, God has said, no, what, what do you do when God says no? I mean, that's the question here. I mean, I mean, remember the Apostle Paul, three times he asked God to take away his thorn in the flesh, and three times God said no. And what did God say to the Apostle Paul? God said, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. Remember Noah? God gave Noah a rainbow and said, I will never, ever do that ever again. He made a promise to Noah. God has never given us a personal rainbow and said, you know what? I'm giving you a personal rainbow, and you'll be exempt from suffering. You'll be exempt from hardship. You'll be exempt from difficulty or pain or hurt or anything like this. Let me just tell you, if you are determined in life to try to get through life, escaping pain, suffering, discomfort, adversity, then you will never grow mature in him. There is something about the theology of suffering. We could study the theology of suffering, and there's something about suffering that strips off some things of us that need to go and helps us to see God differently in a different perspective that, guess what? His grace is sufficient. Guess what? He does walk with us. I mean, remember, remember Daniel when Daniel went through difficult times and they are going to throw him in the fiery furnace, and Daniel made this statement, and he says, he said, uh, he said, God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we will worship him. Sometimes I think it takes greater faith to say, if he doesn't, we will worship him, than to say, God is able. I don't know if you're like me, but there's some verses I can read over and over for years, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I see something new and fresh. I'm like, wow. I mean, I'm convinced. God adds scripture to, to, to my Bible sometimes when I'm sleeping, right? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that, that God's word is living and active? That you can read the same verse over and over and over, and then all of a sudden you see it a little differently. And I've been preaching for almost 30 years. I'm currently working on a doctorate on an area of ministry that, or, or of scripture that I'm just fascinated by, and I need to know, I just need to learn more about this. And so I've had a lot of training in seminary, and I've had a lot of reading of Scripture. I'm, I'm going to read you a verse in just a second, and I, I'm just kind of embarrassed to say I've never seen this, this in this verse before. And maybe it's through walking through the valley of suffering. Maybe through that, God gave me some insight. But the, but the verse is a very familiar verse to you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I mean, a lot of us have read this over and over. We've heard it preached so many times. So here's the verse. The verse says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to man or common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, then here's the deal. He will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Just leave that scripture up there for a second. Here's what caught me off guard. It's that last phrase. He will also provide a way out so that you may be be able to bear it. If he's going to give me a way out, why do I have to bear it? See, that's not my definition of escape. That's not my ex exemption. See, my, my definition of a way out is escape. I don't have to walk through the pain. I mean, I, if, why, why do, if he's going to give me a way out, why do I have to bear it? See, my definition needs to change. I mean, in this room, right? 
in this room, before we could get a building permit, we had to give you two exits in case there's a fire. If there's a fire in the middle of the room, then you don't have to walk through the fire. Why? Because there's ac- exits in the back if you're in the back of the room. And if you're in the front of the room, there's exits here on either side. And, and you, you don't have to walk through the smoke. And you don't have to walk through. See, that's my definition. God giving me a way out means I don't have to bear it. It's an escape. No, that's not what the Scripture talks about. The scripture says that he'll give you a way out so that you can bear it. But guess what? You still have to walk through it. Daniel. He gave, he gave Daniel a way out, right? But Daniel still had to go into the fiery furnace. Daniel still had to feel the flames. Daniel still had to feel the heat. When you look at this, you realize it. it's just this issue of grace. It's this issue. You can move, take that scripture down now. But you, it's this issue of grace. To where you understand that, guess what? God's grace is that he gives me a way out so I can bear it. I still have to maybe walk through it. But God's presence is worse. Because why? Because it's grace that leads me home. See, here's what I'm learning. Most of us, when we go through difficulty, when we go through pain in life, our focus isn't whether we're going to heaven or not. Our focus is can we get through the dangers, toils, and snares? Can we get through the day-to-day problems? And the answer, what Habakkuk would say, what the scripture would say, yes, because he gives us a way out so we can bear it. And the way out is his presence. The way out is he walks with us. I mean, the Bible says that God takes notice of every sparrow, but the sparrow still falls. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Grace and mercy follow me all the days of my life. But David still had to walk through the valley. David still had to walk through the difficulty. Daniel still had to walk through the fiery furnace. And when you look at this, he gives us a way out. Why? So that we can endure it. So the danger, toils, and snares do not destroy us. And things may not improve. But you and I can walk through it. And so we know that when God answers prayer and he takes away pain and he changes circumstances and he heals what it is to celebrate in that, but what happens when he doesn't? There are times in life, Apostle Paul found it, other people found it to be true. There are times that all the praying and all the fasting and pleading of the blood and binding of Satan and praising God doesn't change the circumstances in your life. What do you do then? It's what Habakkuk did. Yet I. Yet I will praise him. Yet I will celebrate. Yet I will find where he's working and celebrate that. Listen, this is not giving up, and this is not resignation, and this is not being passive. It is active. It is what allows you to walk through the dangers, tolls, and snares. It is what allows you to endure. It is what allows you to persevere. It is what allows you to keep going. Listen, we should work to change the circumstances. It is not giving up. But this is action to where you continue to pray. But you no longer, listen, you no longer see your suffering as a monster. But you see it as God can use it for good. The greatest miracle in your life and my life may be that God can use my adversity, God can use my pain, God can use my questions, my disappointment to bring greater glory to his name. This was Habakkuk. When we're so intent, on seeing God change the situation, sometimes we miss what he's doing in our life, how he's working. The second thing is this, is 
God gives meaning to life. Not only is God's grace sufficient, but we just got to understand it is God and God alone that gives meaning to life. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18 again, it says, Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. If you were to, if you were to take a Hebrew Bible, and the, the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew, if you were to take a Hebrew Bible, and you, you would see that a little bit differently. I mean, in the Hebrew Bible, that phrase, I will rejoice, rejoice in the God of my salvation, that's actually determination. I am determined because that is something you have to do. Yet I will, that was a statement of determination. Yet I will. It is this issue of yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Culture would like for us to believe that guess what? What gives meaning to life is happiness, right? What gives meaning to life is this issue of happiness. And what makes life worth living is this issue of happiness. But I'm telling you, what gives meaning to life is not happiness. And what makes life worth living is know that you are his and you have purpose and you have meaning in this life. But it's sometimes the danger tools and snares. Sometimes it's the weariness of life that if you're not careful can weigh you down. Galatians 6, 9 simply tells us, let us not grow weary in doing, in doing good. For in due season we will reap if, what? If we don't give up, the greatest statement in Habakkuk's life, he didn't give up. Yet I will. I'm determined. The greatest act of faith in your life and my life when we walk through difficulty, when we walk through the valley, that we do not give up. That's what Habakkuk is saying. I am determined. And he goes on and says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. In other words, this, he's talking about meaning. He's talking about purpose. He's talking about what, what matters in life. And listen, it is not happiness that gives meaning to life. But our culture, whether it's social media or commercials or whatever, it wants you to believe that, guess what? What gives you meaning to your life is happiness. Because why? Because they want to sell you some stuff. Because they know if they can convince you that, that if you buy their product that you'll have happiness in life, then they know, guess what, if they tie into that, they know they can sell. That's, that's what marketing is based upon, is trying to promise you happiness if you use their product. But what makes life worth living is not happiness. It's meaning. It's knowing that your life matters. Knowing that, God has, knowing that God has a purpose for you, whether it's at the office, a school, home, church, your community. But the culture wants you to believe it's happiness. If you just use this soap, you'll be happy. If you use this shampoo, you'll be happy. If you use their deodorant, if you buy their car, if you dress, wear their clothes, if you buy their phone, if you stay in their hotel, then you'll be happy. But I am here to tell you, when you buy into that, the danger tolls and snares will destroy you. Because you no longer understand what gives meaning to life is knowing that you have a relationship with him. But what happens if what happens when you're not happy? When you have life problems and family problems and divorce and broken relationships, and the doctor says this is just the way it's gonna be. Or loss of income, loss of a job. Listen, it doesn't matter if you beat the stock market, if you get your dream job, your dream vacation. It doesn't matter if you live to 100 years of age. If life wasn't worth living in the first place, why bother? Habakkuk's point. Habakkuk discovers that, guess what? Happiness is not the absence of problems and not the absence of danger, toils, and snares. 
But what makes life worth living is knowing that your life matters to God. And that you have purpose and that you have meaning. And then regardless of what you walk through, you know that you have him. And so Habakkuk comes to this place. He accepts that. He understands that. And then Habakkuk chapter 3, just and he was determined to worship him. Habakkuk 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I've stand in all of your deeds. His circumstances have not changed. But you know what he's doing? He's finding stuff to be grateful for. He's finding where God is working and celebrating that. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these days in your wrath. Remember mercy. You know what he's understanding? God, the purpose of you is to bring people to you. So just revive your work. Revive your work. I mean, last night we baptized both ends of the, the like the age spectrum. We baptized a, a boy that was like, like 8 to 10 years old. And we baptized a saint, and she was close to 80 years of age. Even in these days, God is still bringing people to himself. Even in these days, people are still meeting him. This is what Habakkuk is praying. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded for I'm doing something in your days. So what he's telling you, you may not see it, Habakkuk, but I'm working. Because you're fo so focused on me changing the circumstances. You're so you, you can't even see where I'm working. That you will not believe it when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize ter territories not its own. Habakkuk was having trouble understanding what God was doing. And he came to the place, and he understood that, guess what? God is working. I, here's just a little known fact. A group of Canadians invented the game Trivial Pursuit. Once a week they would gather, a group of Canadians would gather, they'd have a meal and they'd play Scrabble together. Well, one night they lost the Scrabble board, they couldn't find it. So in 45 minutes they inve invented the game Trivial Pursuit. And you know what I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you can live a life of Trivial Pursuit. For you, life is all about happiness escaping any pain, escaping any difficulty. And he goes on, verse 13, Habakkuk chapter 3, you come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and you strip him uh, from foot to neck. He said, your purpose, your purpose, your purpose is to save people. Remember Moses, when Moses spent 40 years in the desert and he came out and he said, the reason we spent 40 years in the desert, the reason we got away from Egypt and Pharaoh and that whole deal, Why? so that people could worship him. Moses understood that. Moses understood that. Habakkuk understood that. Listen, you know when you lose hope is when you think your life is not going to get any better than your past. This is Habakkuk. Habakkuk realized the best is yet to come. You know what I'm learning in study of Scripture and I'm learning in my life? God saves his best for last. Sometimes the reason that we lose hope is because we think our best days were behind us instead of ahead of us. His word tells us, your best days are ahead of you, even through the danger, tolls, and snares. But it's because grace leads you home. Grace is his presence. The last principle is this, that God is my strength. 
that God is, God is, God is my strength. Worship team's going to make their way out, and we're just going to, I'm going to illustrate this, and then we're just going to, as a, as a commitment, we're just, we saved one song to the end of this message. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19, here's what the scripture says. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer, and he enables me to walk on mountain heights. Wouldn't you agree that even though we know, and Habakkuk said, the Lord is my strength, there's some times that we're just not aware of it. We walk through the danger tolls and snares. And that's what a, Apostle Paul, that's what happened to Apostle Paul when he was going through his difficulty. He said, in my weakness, I am strong because the Lord is my strength. So what? So I will boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses I am strong. That God is always always our strength. The problem is, is sometimes we're not aware of it. Or the problem is that if you have a machine to move the mountain in front of you, you don't need God. I mean, you can get something to move that mountain, but it's those times we're going through danger, tolls, and snares that there is no machine on the planet that can move that mountain away in front of us. That all of a sudden we realize the Lord is our strength. Habakkuk said, in the danger, tolls, and snares that Habakkuk realized, God is my strength. Maybe this morning you just need to be reminded, regardless of what you're walking through, God, God is your strength. And then he makes an interesting statement. He said, God gives me the feet of a deer that enables me to go to the mountain heights. Now, listen, I, I know I'm from Texas, but I know nothing about horses. I'm a poor Texan. Years back, I had a buddy in Texas that had a bunch of horses, and he says, hey, I want to drive up. I'll pick you up. We'll go up into the mountains. We'll ride horses up into the, you know, on the 14ers, and we'll fly fish the high mountain lakes and camp out. That was just like purgatory. I never want to do that again. <laughs> There has to be easier ways to get to the high mountain lights to fly fish. And so when we're on our way up, I asked, we were talking about horses because we had a lot of time to talk. <laughs> Took forever. And he says, oh, he says, he said, these are special horses. He says, you know what, you can take a quarter horse and you can put a quarter horse on flat ground and that horse will run like the wind. As long as the ground is firm, as long as the ground is flat, as long as there's no rocks and crevices and boulders and mud and soft sand, anything like that. But it can run like the wind. But you take that quarter horse and you put that quarter horse in the mountains where there's rocks and boulders and, and mud and crevices and everything else, that quarter horse will stumble and fall. That quarter horse will not be able to carry anybody. And that's why you need a special horse. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. Habakkuk is saying, you know what, you can, you, can take, you can take a lot of Christians and you can put them on flat ground with no dangers, tools, and snares, and they will run like the wind. But the challenge comes when there's rocks and crevices. That's where you live out your faith. 
that's where he promises, the Lord is my strength. And guess what? I'll give you the feet of a deer that will allow you to go over the boulders, the dangers, tools, and snares. For that is grace because grace will take you home.